Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry, with overpriced, underperforming products, and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Hello and welcome to Here's Where It Went Wrong, the podcast where every week we have on one of our favorite comedians to talk about one of their favorite topics and we trace its history to find out exactly where it all went off the rails. I am joined as always by my co-host, Andrew Nadeau. Andrew, how you doing today, man? I am doing fantastic, Wen. How are you? Oh, I'm doing so good and guys, this episode is, we just finished recording it and I'm so excited about it. Andrew, Who are we talking to this week? This was honestly, this was so much fun. I mean, it's like it's almost midnight and I'm not going to sleep for another three hours. This was was so exciting to get into. We talked today with Brandon Scott Wolf. He's one of my favorite standups. He's also with Westbrook Media. He was previously a contributor for SNL's Weekend Update, Neil Patrick Harris's Best Time Ever. He is so good. And we are talking with him about wrestling. Uh, We cover the whole history from Egypt and ancient Greece and trying to find out why they wrestled oiled up and naked. And guys, I did a lot of research. It's complicated. (laughs) From that to how modern wrestling started in the carnival circuit and ended up where it all went wrong in the Monday Night Wars. And David Arquette, if you are listening to this episode right now, I swear, listen to the end. Please, listen to the whole episode (laughs) for you to understand our true appreciation of you and your art form. For everyone else, let's get into it. So, Brandon, once again, thanks for coming. We've actually been talking for a little bit now, but uh, the magic of podcast editing makes everyone else hop in at this moment. So here we are. It's a great moment, and I feel amazing to be in it. Also, thank you for having me. I feel like at the top of a podcast, if the guest doesn't say thank you for having me, they are a bad guest. Yeah, I think that's because normally the guest at this point has already heard all the nice things we're going to say about you, but we're saying it at the end, so you can't appreciate that. This is the magic of editing, folks. Brandon has no idea if we like him or not yet. I'm going to be honest. I thank every guest for coming on. I I, I don't really (laughs) think that we're doing them some kind of grand favor. I think that's nice, and I will say that, like, Saying positive things at the end was always my go-to move for the podcast that's now defunct that I used to have with my friend Anthony O'Connell, where I would just force people to give me a compliment. It's like an extremely aggressive move to end a 25-minute conversation with, okay, now say something you like about me. I'm going to steal it. My self-esteem actually desperately needs that. Can we start with that? 
can, okay, what, what do you guys like about me? Please, can I have a compliment? I feel like Brandon and I have talked about this before because the <laughs> every time it comes up that Brandon and I know each other, it's about how I watched him eat deep dish pizza, which the more I say it, the more I feel like this sounds like a kinky thing, but it was just, it was the first time he had it. This was before it was a stand-up and I was just kind of, I was starting to write and hanging out around comedians. So Brandon's ability to eat deep dish pizza, just unrivaled. And I feel like that's what he's mostly known for now. Incredibly kind. Thank you so much. Also, <laughs> that, that was before you became a stand-up and that was before I became a stand-up as well. I performed at a comedy show that night and then yeah. I ate a pizza <laughs> and, you know, definitely uh, not, not a stand-up and uh, I, I'll never admit to it. It's a shameful thing. You're both comedians. <laughs> What's wrong with you? This is like, it's like 10.15 on a weeknight and I work in the morning and I'm recording this podcast for a group of 10 friends right now this is this is my life good i mean i feel like we should play up that our, our podcast is actually more popular than that except you okay, know fair enough but only 10 people text me to say good job right so <laughs> no i was i was with my girlfriend over the weekend she's like hey you need to help me with these these charts and numbers and very professional serious adult stuff and i was like oh i can't i gotta go write a dick joke so you know guess you're on your own amazing that you're that organized that you yeah. have a calendar ahead of you to be like uh it's two o'clock gotta write a dick joke yeah <laughs> i can't cancel it if i cancel dick joke writing time then it's gonna be easier to push the next writing time <laughs> and then i'm off track forever god we're an exhausting people it is incredible though how like if you watch a stand-up showcase you go to any show when there were shows before the you know pandemic the before time the what now <laughs> the, the, the uh what is the thing uh i said it right pandemic is that yeah right? that's the one I, I, oh yeah I, okay yeah, yeah i read like a buzzfeed article about that i've seen <laughs> it written down but i've never heard anyone say it out loud so i was worried that i was going to pronounce it wrong but yeah you watch a stand-up show and it really is just a bunch of people being like here's my new take on the penis thought and <laughs> that's pretty much it it's incredible here's the penis thought here's the topical thought and we're out of here Seven minutes was far too long for me to be talking to everyone. Thank you and good night. I would try and do a full hour in seven minutes. That was my <laughs> try and get everything in there. Madness. Yeah, you were known for squeezing at least four to five penis thoughts in the span of that seven minutes. <laughs> there was legitimately a point, and I think a lot of comics have this. I started out talking more so like myself, the way I'm talking right now, and like longer jokes and stories about my life. And then something happened where I was like, oh, you know what people want? Less of me. And I started <laughs> talking slower and doing one-liners and closing in on myself. And I was like, oh, does this mean I'm like sick in the head? Yes. <laughs> but like, <laughs> it's what happens. I'm a one-liner comic. I started out as a one-liner comic. And I, I kept trying to expand it because the problem with being a one-liner comic is that for a 10-minute set, I need to have 60 jokes ready that's it's potentially going to go that long so i kept thinking well maybe i can add tags and stretch it out and the audience did not want that <laughs> it was we want just the joke you've got us prepped for the fact that there's going to be no setup which means you're not allowed to do setup anymore and it is the most stressful way to do comedy i feel so stupid for choosing to do comedy like this but it's the way my brain writes it's a sink or swim it's yeah a, okay you have to impress us every single sentence now right there's no momentum <laughs> maybe the most difficult and worst choice that we have both made in our lives but like you can't second guess it you have to continue to do what you like doing 
and that is your voice. It'll grow, and mine will change. And Wensler, you don't—you're out of this conversation. We, yeah, <laughs> it's just become a one-on-one between me and Andrew. No, no, no. I'm—I'm no. I'm very much enjoying. Andrew is one of the best one-liner comics I've ever seen in my life. To the point where, like, we hosted a show together. So he would be out on stage. I'd be backstage prepping the other comedians and listening to him. And like the audience would he- like there'd be a joke that I loved that they didn't. So they would just hear one cackling laugh <laughs> emitting from the back of the house, like behind the curtain. I feel like that is a story that like really shows your friendship. Like, yeah. <laughs> like you're a person who gets him. And that is a beautiful thing because like in life, you obviously have a connection here and you made a podcast together. And besides a child, I think arguably the, podcast <laughs> is the best thing two human beings can share. Yeah, and agreed. <laughs> it's just great to be like, hey, when my buddy fucking sucks, I think he's at his best. It's so nice. <laughs> it is so I incredible. get furious. I'm like, how did you guys not love that fucking joke? That joke was amazing. <laughs> it's because the audiences are dumb. And the people exactly. out there are idiots. And these dumb idiots don't get art. Hi. <laughs> Speaking of which, when things open up, come and see my and Andrew's stand-up show where we will be mocking you from behind the curtain. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like for those who have not seen my stand-up, this might not have been the strongest intro, but they laugh like a good 40% of the time, guys. There's other stuff, you know, happening. So, you know, come check us out when, when stuff reopens. But I'm not a one-liner comic. I'm a, I'm a comic that has to clear everything. Like, I write jokes, and then I have to be like, to my wife, just like, is it cool if I tell any of these in front of people? And <laughs> luckily, she's like, cool. Honestly, extremely smart. Yeah. yeah. So smart to get at least one other person to be like, that's fine. Yeah, you can say these things. That's yeah. <laughs> well, they're usually about her, so. Right. Oh, well, that's good. <laughs> that's good you're doing this. So you don't, you know, lead to a breakup or worse, a murder. Or well, arguably, <laughs> I don't know. Depending on. But we really can't, we can't restart this, can we? We have really. Uh, We're going to keep going. We actually have a topic for today, too, <laughs> that we should get into. We're going to do the whole second episode with Brandon where we just talk about stand-up comedy and how we have made the most difficult decisions that nobody has forced us to do. But we are actually going to be talking about wrestling today, which is, as we know, a sport topic, which means when knows about it. And I read stuff. Thankfully, we've got Brandon, who actually knows what he's talking about, too. I mean, honestly, I don't. But as the <laughs> expert, I will kind of lead us towards some sort of endgame. And that endgame is talking about, like, the year 2000, I guess, around there. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. We're going to start with some of the good stuff here, because when it went wrong was massive and so much stupidity around it. But how about we get into a little bit of the history first before some personal stories? Please take us away. Of course, I got to read about this. And wrestling was one of the oldest forms of combat as well as one of the oldest sports. Records of wrestling go back 15,000 years to cave drawings. It's Babylonian and Egyptian reliefs show wrestlers using most of the holds known to present day sport, which is incredible. This is one of the things that like, no, it's just the same throughout human history. You know, well, there's how many different ways can you hold a human being? Yeah. <laughs> they all they were doing was fighting. So, like, they figured out how to kill each other by hand pretty early, and we haven't been innovating much <laughs> since. I also like just knowing that wrestling was real at one point. 
Like they weren't putting on a show. Wrestling is real. In fact, it was so massively respected that, you know, literary references appear as far back as the Indian Vedas and the Old Testament. By the way, the Old Testament, the story of Jacob having wrestled with God or an angel. I read that a few different translations, and most of them say he met a guy. He wrestled with him. The guy wouldn't tell him his name. So that guy was God. (laughs) The whole Bible situation you know, casually dropping the whole Bible situation in Let's there. Let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta say, really murky territory. You know right, I mean? okay. We, we've we've got a, a lot to cover there. We don't need to hit the Bible heavy. Look, look, I'm just gonna say, Jacob fought a guy. He won, right? He won? Draw, yeah. F- okay, well, I guess, yeah. What a cocky son of a bitch to just be like, I didn't win the fight. I guess that was God. I would literally like bet my money on God winning any wrestling match. But like, as we all know, there are dusty finishes in wrestling, which is a deep wrestling cut for all the wrestling heads out there. So, yeah, Brandon is right. This is a bad choice to get into the Bible. But ultimately, I just I I kept reading this and and kept thinking, I feel like I'm missing something. So feel free to explain it if somebody knows this. But it appears in the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is considered the earliest surviving notable literature. And I want to get into Greece because I feel like that's the one people are familiar with. John Travolta, Olivia Newton-John. That's the one. (laughs) God, I'm so sharp and on the money. (laughs) Super pop, super pop, yeah. Yeah, that's the guy. So... My goal with this is always to talk about the stuff you don't know about the subjects you do. So I feel like most people are familiar with the fact that it was like oiled up Grecians fighting naked. This was the big thing. This this appeared in the Olympics the first time in 708 BCE. It was the first sport to be added that was not a foot race. So what I started looking into was why they did this. I figured like, well, this is just a thing. No, it, it wasn't a thing at all. This Greece was one of the few places that decided to do all of their sports naked. So you look up why and it just says, we don't know. We have no reason for this. Can I give a guess? Can I? Give yeah, a guess? please. Yeah. Can we do things? <laughs> I think here we go. Doing athletics naked makes everything faster and more streamlined. <laughs> I think that's the same reason why like swimmers shave their bodies before doing races. And the ancient Greeks were like, we could see something more high octane and pulse pounding if we stripped down. I'm going to roll with that because I'm also going to say, have you ever seen someone run in sandals? It's embarrassing. <laughs> it is pathetic. It's a humiliating experience. It's sad. Also, they wore togas. They wore to- They weren't wearing, you know, like form fitting clothes. They were wearing very loose garments that were just thrown kind of a- tunics. You're not going to be your best in a physical capacity. You're not like fighting with piercing weapons, so there's no need for armor. Yeah, why not be? And like, who doesn't like being naked? (laughs) They didn't have like under armor. They didn't have any performance gear. They were literally wearing top sheets. They had top sheets. There actually was a legend that says officials banned loincloth as unsafe when someone tripped on one during a foot race. Well, there's there's an answer right there. Wow. Okay. God, this coddling culture is <laughs> fucking everybody. No, we can't let anyone trip on a loincloth culture. Babies. Bullshit. Bunch of babies. <laughs> Some said it was for cult reasons, others for good luck, for erotic purposes, as an equalizer was one stressed, or just because they were proud of their bodies is when, obviously nailed. But the part that got me was some athletes would use a cord to tie off the foreskin before competition. Well, you don't want that hitting your opponent. In the- <laughs> That's that, upsetting. 
is again, no one knows if this was sexual or just aesthetic. Like some guy just tried it and I guess it stuck. I like that the ancient Greek Olympics are like super horny. That's so weird. Like it's great, but weird. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's, we we say that, but like then like there's all these, you know, STD outbreaks at the Olympic Village every (laughs) year. Like if you just get the most jacked people that are just all together all the time, they're going to fuck each other. And that's been true from the first Olympics all the way to the current Olympics. It's going to be very bad COVID wise this year. Olympic Village sounds like it is an old folks home the way STDs pass around. Like literally those are the two (laughs) spots aside from a college dorm. That village just crawling, crawling with chlamydia. Yeah, I remember reading this just years ago of the thousands of condoms given out to the Olympic Village. That's cool, though. Yeah, I mean, I I get it, ancient Greeks. You know what? Let's not pretend this is not a homoerotic sport to begin with. It's let's lean into it. Be proud, guys. So they've got a few basic rules. There's no intentional hitting or kicking. There's no eye gouging or biting. But there's also the sport called pancreation, which is much closer to MMA today, where that's basically the only rule. No eye gouging or biting, except in Sparta, where they're like, fuck it, do whatever you want. You can eye gouge, you can bite. I think biting's kind of fucked up to put it, it <laughs> I, I think so too when you realize all of the other things that are allowed in this by the fact that those are the only two rules there's got to be other like wrestling again in ancient greece had no grasping of genitals as a specific phrasing they used not so in pancreation pancreation it was whatever you wanted you could do and this was also you know as a, a technique used in battle pancreation sounds like it's like you should be grabbing another person <laughs> like that is what pancreation is no it, it was even discussed as as uh in Thermopylae when the Spartans lost their spears that they resorted to biting. Can't talk about that one. So I'm going to get to my, my favorite pancreation story really quick and then we can get on to some more recent stuff. One of the worst sentences you've ever said out loud. I mean, <laughs> one of my favorite pancreation stories. Are you going to allow time for all of us to tell our favorite pancreation stories or is this just the Andrew show Quit today? hogging the mic. I want to talk pancreation. <laughs> All right, if this is not universally agreed to be the best, we can each do one. Because there's this fighter named Arichion of Figalia, and he's won his competition in the Olympic Games in 564 BCE, the 54th Olympiad, despite being dead. How? Wait, how? What? He was the winner in the 52nd and 53rd. In the 54th, he was locked in a chokehold, and trying to loosen it, he broke his opponent's toe. Some records say ankle, but toe seems to be more common. The opponent nearly passed out from the pain and submitted, And when the ref raised his hand in victory, that was when he found out he had died. And this is where it all went wrong for professional. (laughs) You can't have a dead guy win. What? I'm just imagining like holding up his hand and feeling no pulse and then just like being like, fuck, okay, we got weekend at Bernie's the rest of this award ceremony. And that referee was the first person to ever go to therapy. Like, is that the <laughs> ancient Greece? What a mess! It was so mess, and obviously the 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 if you look at the images of of pancreation, like it is a violent sport. So that is again very close to MMA, but but wrestling was was the more popular one at the time, and I mean that continued. We, we've got a, a long period here where we hit Middle Ages and and modern wrestling. I want to skip ahead a bit to more like the modern and American because there, <laughs> there's so much here, but I want to hit to where it transitioned more into. The the wrestling of today because 
at the end of the 18th century, wrestling became a spectacle at fairs and theaters and circuses. Wrestlers and strongmen would challenge anyone from the audience for pretty big purses. And then they started slowly transforming this into, well, we're going to arrange our own fights as well. And hey, you know what? Some of these people are audience favorites. Feels like they should maybe be winning. And at this point, you've also got Mr. Rossignol Royon. He's an attorney from Lyon. He took over what has become the first modern wrestler's circus troupe. And his advertising ability was noticed right away. So he starts arranging matches and rewarding wrestlers in the name of the audience. This spreads wide across the Austrian-Hungarian Empire to Italy and Russia. And this became known as Greco-Roman wrestling or classic or French wrestling. Oh, so it's not even Greek at this point. It is a Hungarian sport and they took Greco as this is insane. This is insane. Pro teams have millions to spend and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. In news. Yes, they call it Greco-Roman because they believe this is how they fought at the time, which is, is mostly true in that it was holes only used above the waist. Yeah, no weird leg business. I, I respect that. Right. <laughs> None of this silliness. We just, we're all about biceps here uh, in Greco-Roman. So, I mean, yeah, th this was, was, growing really big and then in the American post-American Civil War wrestlers were kind of often athletes with amateur wrestling experience and they've traveled with carnies and became carnies again this tied into the strongman culture and the carnies is a very insulated community <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The phrase, the phrase, the, the carnies are very insulated community is what broke me. I mean, they are. I, I, I understand they travel together. They don't trust outsiders. Yeah, no, I get it. They can't lay down roots. I understand. Like, they're only hanging out with each other. I understand. But the phrase itself was funny to me. You're right. This was is far too serious for what this topic is, especially because this is now broken up into these three categories. You've got the carny fighters. You've got their managers known as empresarios. But you've got this last group known as the barnstormers, which are just citizens that know they're good enough to beat carnies. Wait, so these are <laughs> folks who are like, I can fuck up a carny. Put me in the match. I'll win. They've got these massive purses to, to win if you can beat the carny because no one can. But they're like, well, we can. So they start traveling around the country to win these big rewards for beating the carny as well as placing side bets. And eventually the carnage were like, okay, well, these are the big draw matches. We can place side bets too and make some money. Andrew, you're telling me that there is a group of circus performers going around the country to do wrestling matches. And there's a separate group of just like 
drunk assholes who are then following the circus from town to town just so they could beat up carnival folk. This is the history of wrestling, and that is 100% correct. <laughs> it's a tale as old as time. Honestly, exactly what happened this past week with the whole entire GameStop stock market. Yeah. <laughs> it's a group of people on Reddit who are like, I'm going to fucking kick the ass of the people that actually do this thing. Wow. Wow, we, all, we all got there. It's a tale as old as time. This is beautiful. I love it. Chef's kiss. Yeah. So no, we, we've got the barnstormers. We've got the carnies. We've got the empresarios. And they all realize there is a lot of money here, but currently it's being split because we don't have this rigged enough. We're going to let you win some matches. We're going to place the right side bets. We're going to make the odds just right. They tried this in, in Europe, but once people found out it was staged, it kind of went wrong with they kind of got away with it here. Well, here's the thing. Americans love being lied to. <laughs> we all like it. It's very fun. And we'll vote for whoever's lying to us the most. Like, just tell us what we want to hear. That's all we want is just please tell us the thing we want to hear. And we'll believe it. We'll believe it with our whole fucking hearts <laughs> if it's what we wanted to hear in the first place. You know, as the old saying goes, it's words speak louder than actions. Is that correct? I mean, that's that's the one I think. Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, no, this is, was a really interesting history because it is so insane and it is working so well. And this also brings about the use of jargon, which Carney's already had developed for all their other things. They needed to be able to communicate and, and let people know when there was a mark and when a game was rigged or how to rig a game without the public knowing. And this is where we introduced the term kayfabe, which is obviously still used today. Yep. Love it. Love tricking the marks into thinking things are real. Right. Incredible stuff. God, I love, I want a whole carny episode <laughs> after this. We can just pivot right now. I'm fine with that. Yeah, no, <laughs> carny history is really fascinating. Actually, I would be absolutely be down for doing a carny history episode. Can I also say, though, every time I say carny, I kind of wince inside because I'm just like, is that, was that a, like, it feels like a slur. It's not, but I it, think it might. It might be. Who's to say? It's the appropriate term, but yes, I have, have felt the same thing a number of times. But no, but it is is the appropriate term. We're going to Google this afterwards to make sure. Remember, you can always <laughs> edit chunks of this out. Right. We're just going to have that voiceover where occasionally it says "carnival worker" every time we carnival said "carnival worker." <laughs> Horribly dubbed over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, we're going to get somebody that's not. Any of the three of us right. recording too. It's like a distinctly like female voice. Carnival worker. Right. <laughs> it's like, okay. I'm gonna find the like the best celebrity on cameo that I can afford to just send me a clip of them saying the phrase carnival worker <laughs> and just like work it into this episode. Oh god. And then I'm gonna credit them so we get more listeners. Right. Honestly, I am so behind this idea. We are gonna look this up to to make sure. Uh <laughs> can we do this? Honestly, I'm in for the bit. I'll give some money towards it. Why not? I mean, yeah, let's we're just gonna split this three ways. This feels worth it. And honestly, this is it. This is what the history continues. So I want to skip ahead to the current one. There's a television era. It starts up for a little bit. It drops back down. In the 80s, we have this resurgence because it starts being marketed more towards children. It's got these flamboyant and bright colors and costumes. But this is it. It's it's really the carnival circuit that creates wrestling that it is today. So let's talk a bit about wrestling today. What have your guys' experiences been with this? What's your history here? Yeah, so I had a cousin who is a few years older. Not significantly older, but enough that to me he was an adult when I was a child in my eyes he was just a teenager but he was obsessed with wrestling and he would babysit us all the time 
He would watch everything. And it was one of those things where, like, wrestling, like, in the 90s and early 2000s, had this weird thing where they would, like, bring out a bed into the fucking ring and, like, have two people, like, get under a blanket. You're like, they're fucking under there! That's what, like, (laughs) wrestling was. And, like, it was just kind of, like, sexual masturbatory. So it's perfect for teen boys, which means it kind of fucked me up because I was, like, seven. And just like, okay, yeah, this this is what's happening. But we would always play the video games we were over there. He had a giant, like, poster of all the Attitude Era wrestlers. Like, just a huge fan. You know, Goldberg, you know, The Rock, Hogan, all the... I followed everything without having any idea of what was going on and was also very confused (laughs) as to why this was a thing. Like, I was into it, but I had no idea it was fake. So I was just like, you can't allow these people to do these things. This is madness. (laughs) Which is the best. That is the best way to watch wrestling. Arguably, the best way, in my opinion, to watch wrestling is not knowing that it's fake. Of course. And I was convinced as a child. So I grew up watching WWF wrestling before... World Wildlife Foundation sued for the naming rights, and they became WWE. I watched WCW, which was the primary rival to WWF in the 90s. And I also watched a local promotion in Philadelphia, where I grew up, called ECW. It used to be Eastern Championship Wrestling, and then it was taken over by Paul Haven, who is currently on WWE television as like a writer, producer genius shyster backstabber (laughs) personality and he created this thing called extreme championship wrestling and when i was a kid ecw was the philly promotion it was on local philadelphia television it had stories that were like not only are these two people crawling in the bed with each other in the ring but they are legitimately fucking each other (laughs) as as a kid I was watching this stuff and it was ultra bloody. People were getting light tubes broken on their heads. People were getting tossed off of balconies, through tables, lit on fire, tossed onto barbed wire. And I thought that was the real wrestling. (laughs) And the WCW wrestling and the WWF wrestling were the sports entertainment, the fake wrestling. Obviously, wrestling is real. The people who are wrestlers are putting their bodies on the line every single week. And, you know, they are like the military to me. I salute you. Thank you for doing your <laughs> service. Like, good for you. Keep doing your thing. Whatever. Protect us. Whatever. Anyway, <laughs> I loved wrestling so much as a kid that I would beg and plead my parents to take me down to the ECW arena in Philadelphia, like proper. Take me there. I want to see this. I want to see it live. My parents had no idea what the content was. (laughs) And they took me to one of these. Maybe I was seven years old. And it was the biggest mistake they've probably ever made in their life. There was like borderline nudity. There was literal people spitting on us. (laughs) One guy got a staple gun staple into his face not five feet from us. It was like horribly scarred (laughs) for them. And I was seven or eight being like, this is it. I'm in Nirvana. I've reached the peak. This is what I want to be watching for the rest of my life. 
and I, I am here before you guys at age 31, and I will tell you, except for a brief seven to eight years where I completely stopped watching wrestling, <laughs> I have never stopped watching wrestling. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's so entertaining, so fun. It is one of these things you asked me, Andrew, like, what would you like to come on the show and talk about? And, like, I don't really have anything of interest to talk about in my mind. I have no hobbies. All I do is focus on, you know, interpersonal relationships with folks in my life and my career and comedy and all of that sort of stuff. It sounds unhealthy, honestly. Yeah. It's really unhealthy. It's very, very bad. <laughs> but even more so, arguably unhealthy, is professional wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> because I read tweets about it. I search out information about it that like normal people shouldn't search out like there is a <laughs> journalist named dave Meltzer who is one of the biggest professional wrestling journalists in the world and i seek out what this man who i've never met has to say about japanese wrestling <laughs> that is so insane i have never been to japan <laughs> i don't know why i'm watching this other than I'm obsessed with seeing interesting stories. I'm obsessed with seeing great stories. I'm obsessed with seeing horrible stories. And professional wrestling gives me all of that. You know, it absolutely does. And this was something that when I watched as a kid, again, I had the stage, of course, where, where you, you think it, it's real. The, the thing for me, and I feel like this should surprise nobody who knows me, I was consistently bothered every time they broke a rule. <laughs> Oh no, that guy cheated. <laughs> you can't have him. You don't. We hit him with a steel chair. No, dad. Oh, mom. I, I, I can't feel like this guy is distracting the ref and they're breaking the rules. They need another ref. I could solve this problem. I can tell you where to put the second ref. None of this would be an issue. I love the idea of you watching it and being like, they're using that pretty lady to distract the ref. You can't do that. <laughs> like they're doing cart, like Looney Tunes level bullshit. And you're like, stop it. Get her out of here she shouldn't be at ringside she's, not <laughs> the match. she's just being a distraction it bothered me so much i wanted to know who the best fighter was it's like well i don't know now you guys did everything wrong at one point you got hit with a chair i'm pretty sure you can't do that so <laughs> andrew would root for the washington generals yeah, it's just like i don't understand why they're losing every game i just don't get it like they have the talent they have the skill. they just just stop it that guy is on a trampoline just take it off <laughs> So this was my experience during childhood, slightly different from yours, but I, I still really got into it. I didn't follow the stories as much. And once I got older, I had an appreciation for it. It's like, once you realize it's fake, it was like, oh, wow, they're creating a pretty cool soap opera here. It's supposed to be insanely dramatic. It's not supposed to be like, oh, I relate to this story. It's supposed to be, there's no way this can be real, but look what they're doing with this. And it's very cool that they, they introduced such an insane level of athleticism to basically soap operas. It was a really cool idea. Could you imagine doing this? No, I can't it. do any of this. <laughs> Think about it. It's insane. It ended two years before I was born, but I'm from Memphis, so they had... I thought you were going to say wrestling ended two years <laughs> before I was born. I was like, no, 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 it's still going on. No, no, it's, it's still going on. You can watch it. <laughs> uh, but in Memphis, had the Championship Wrestling Association, which was, you know, Jerry Jarrett managed it, you know, also one of those, car you know, carny figures pretty much that, you know, of the 
of the 70s and 80s. I Googled it. We can say it. Don't worry. I'm going to cameo. We're still going to hire. Yeah. We're going to hire the cameo. <laughs> We're going to do it anyway, but it's okay. <laughs> you know what? I want to do it just for for at least once. Just for it. It'll just pop up randomly in the episode. Yeah. <laughs> it's Tayo Cruz. We got Tayo Cruz today. <laughs> Interesting. You think Tom Cruise is on cameo? <laughs> I said Tayo Cruz, the rapper. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. That guy's on cameo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that had Jerry Lawler. And also it had the whole Andy Kaufman saga. So, you know, people would come down to Memphis and you had Kaufman making fun of memphians which you know fine i do it too yeah. <laughs> but it was just be the thing of like he was the intergender wrestling champion of the world was andy kaufman he would fight women as like a like a satire of wrestling you know toxic masculinity and everything of just like oh yeah I'm, i can beat any woman in the world and i'll do it right here kind of thing. <laughs> but that's like such a beautiful thing because like he i would say was making fun of wrestling but I, i'm pretty sure he also loved wrestling and was like tight friends with jerry the king Lawler. Oh yeah, huge yeah, fan. Yeah, of course. And so like he was doing exactly what you want to do as a performer, as a wrestler because there's only like really two places to be in wrestling. Obviously there's a whole scale in the middle, but there's either faces over here, which are the good guys, everyone that the crowd is supposed to root for, or what he was doing, heel work, which is the villain. And everyone outside of wrestling like in wrestling and outside of like he went on late night shows the world grew to hate him because <laughs> he was doing such a good job as a wrestling personality and like that's 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 amazing like the things i've done in my past where it's like that sounds so negative the things i've done in my past i'm ashamed of. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about this before i hopped on the call and we started recording and all that but like the date brandon scott wolf site i had the fight Brandon Scott Wolf site I had, the <laughs> follow Brandon Scott Wolf site I had, like all of that wouldn't really be possible if it wasn't for Andy Kaufman. Because I will say this about Andy Kaufman, there was an award show for him and every single year they would have an Andy Kaufman award winner in New York City and beyond. And it was this big competition and people would submit tapes and really try and get in this top five, top 10, and then battle it out for the title of like most alt comedian, which is an honor. It's like very cool to be that in my estimation. And I applied to that three or four years in a row and I never got on it. And by the fourth year, I got a message from Andy Kaufman's nephew, who I've since become friends with. And he said to me, my dad, who is Andy's brother, and I watched your submission and you are the, this is like a weird brag. I don't know why I'm saying it. He said, you are the one person who submitted that is the most like Andy Kaufman. <laughs> and that made my like whole existence worth it. And he was like, that being said, we're trying to find someone who is different than Andy that <laughs> takes on the spirit of him. So you are not going to be in this year's competition. But then we just started talking and hit it off and I still occasionally back and forth talk with him here and there. He'll be like, hey, is this a funny sketch idea? Is this that? But like, yeah, Andy Kaufman, I didn't really know that he had that big of an effect on me. But like, you know, people who get into wrestling, get into comedy, like there is some sort of community. There is some sort of thread there. And it's kind of similar to like, I, I'm, I'm sure like, you know, this everyone likes comic books now that they're mainstream and all that sort of stuff with Marvel. But like, if you're a comedian, 
chances are you probably like wrestling chances are you probably like comic books it's all comic books wrestling it's people dressing up to be superheroes <laughs> Dwayne the rock johnson is the closest thing we have to a superhero <laughs> he has an alias he looks the part he has the mild-mannered look occasionally when he's not in his ring gear and things like that and it's just like an interesting crossover that like i think about but i never have a chance to actually like talk with anyone about because we never get there and this has been the weird storm to get there. And <laughs> it's cool that you were from Memphis. Like I was talking with a coworker of mine recently and she was like, I'm from Memphis and I used to work at a little flower shop. And she was like, Brandon, you would really like to hear this. This was like in the middle of a Zoom call with 10 people. She was like, I worked for Jerry the King Lawler's flower shop. <laughs> and I was oh like, what? God. And he was like, yeah, he's a really nice man. He has a quaint little flower shop in Memphis. And I was like, this is the <laughs> craziest thing to hear. And like, did you know that? Did you, Like, you're from Memphis. Like, Jerry Lawler is... I mean, he's an icon in Memphis. Like that that's just one of those things. I have I didn't know he owned specifically a flower shop, but you telling me that is of no surprise to me. <laughs> he has hands in every different pot you can imagine. But Memphis is a f it's the best city. I I I'm making sure I'm doing the math in my head. Okay, this episode's going to come out later after I talk to my family, but I just got like a, a 901, which is the Memphis area code tattoo on my arm just earlier this week. <laughs> Memphis is like a very big deal to me, very close to my heart. And like, it's one of those things where I grew up hearing all these like crazy stories. I mean, my dad actually wrestled, like not like entertainment wrestling, but actually wrestled. So he, but he grew up, you know, during the time of just like being a fan of he entertainment. Did the greco-roman like amateur <laughs> wrestling kind of vibe is that correct like he did that kind of wrestling exactly he did that in high school and then i found a bunch of boxing trophies in his attic and it turned out that he was a college frat boxer okay one of the coolest things i've ever heard and i don't even vibe with frat culture or even you know want to step <laughs> into a frat but if kids were legitimately boxing each other and your dad was knocking people out amazing yes it, it turns out that was the thing he never told me these stories it was a thing where like i was hanging out with his group of friends and they were telling these stories about like it was a competition where each fraternity put up like two fighters or something like that everyone got drunk and then they would have rounds of boxing matches and my dad who is the most mild-mannered nice guy you've ever met was apparently just laying sons of bitches out <laughs> That rules. The coolest that thing. Is, your dad has gone from, in your mind, probably, it sounds like you liked your dad, a solid eight to maybe a nine. <laughs> That's awesome. That's It's great. absolutely incredible. But anyways, wrestling. But yeah, no, uh, Memphis means the world to me. And, and yeah, it's uh, sorry. Now I'm going on a whole Memphis rant, but it's, uh, it's a big part of who I am. It's our podcast. Yeah, you can talk about whatever you'd like. We don't have to stick to this. Does anyone want to talk about, like, I don't know, football? I guess the Super Bowl is coming up. We can talk about that. Uh, like, I like when a podcast has a grinding halt when the guest is like, let's change the topic. It's like, here's the thing. I have done so much research that I am terrified every time something else comes up. It's like, guys, I got like nine pages here of stuff on ancient Sumer. I mean, I, I gotta stick with this. The Sumerians actually were the first group of folks to wrestle with clothing on. <laughs> and we're like, alright, Andrew, really good stuff about wrestling. I love the history of wrestling. <laughs> they figured out how not to trip on those loincloths. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> I don't know what my job is here. I'm not helping. Uh, so let's also talk about, I, I feel like this is, is a really good background. You're, you're right about the fact that I do consistently see this, same with comic books and, and comedians. This does seem to be a, a large part of, of, of comedy culture, at least large sections of comedy culture. But if it's so beloved, where did it go wrong? It went wrong, I would say, probably... For WCW, 2000-ish. Yeah, yeah, 1998. There was a moment where WCW, for 84 weeks, they were number one in the ratings over the WWF's flagship show, Monday Night Raw. And there was this thing called the Monday Night Wars. And it all kicked off when two WWF talents jumped ship and invaded, as outsiders, the WCW. It was Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. Scott Hall used to perform under the WWF as Razor Ramon, and Kevin Nash used to perform under the name Diesel. They were very big acts. Diesel was a former WWF champion. Razor Ramon, Intercontinental Champion, he has had possibly one of the greatest and possibly the first ladder match with Shawn Michaels. It's like a historic event at WrestleMania 10. Like, these are big stars. And they, without anyone knowing, there were, you know, dirt sheets out there, but there was no internet. So there was no Dave Meltzer reporting. There was no whispers on the internet. Like, there wasn't anything. If anyone doesn't know, what is a dirt sheet? A dirt sheet is the rumor mill. It is wrestling journalists talking to people who are on the inside. The wrestlers, the writers, the producers, and just, you know, trickling out little bits of information that might pop up on next Monday's show, might pop up on next Friday night's SmackDown. That kind of a thing. So no one had any idea this was happening. And these two stars, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall, just showed up on WCW in the audience. They walked up with tickets in their hands, jumped over the barricade that separates the fans from the wrestlers, and they invaded. They grabbed a microphone. They said, we're here. We're shaking things up. We have a third man. Our group is going to take over WCW. And at that moment, there was all this hype. They showed up week after week after week until it finally got to a point where they introduced who their third man was in their heel stable. A stable is like a group. It could be good guys or bad guys. And their third man was, do you guys know? Hulk Hogan. It was Hulk Hogan, who before that was the flag bearer of the WWF. He was 1980s wrestling. He was Americana. He was red, white, and blue in orange and yellow tights. And he was everyone's hero. He was telling kids to eat their vitamins, say their prayers, all of that good stuff. And he showed up. He's been on WCW for a couple years. He's kind of in middling world title feuds here and there. They're not really hitting ratings gold. And he shows up as Hollywood Hulk Hogan. He is wearing black tights. He is no longer in the orange and yellow. He means business. He's taking over. He is going to run the show. It is now mean Hogan time. Just to clarify, so this is the WCW, and this is in response to the WWF's Attitude Era, which is them bringing in new stars. They pretty much put Hulk Hogan out to pasture. He was starting to do TV shows and everything, more so than wrestling. They put him out, but they were like then hyping, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Mike Foley, and The Rock over at WWF. So this was WCW trying to be like, no, we got a gimmick now too. There was a very weird, weird moment in wrestling because at a time, 
WCW was just, you know, bright tights and we're doing what WWE did, what WWF did in the 80s, but now we have their aging stars. We have Hulk Hogan here. We have Randy Macho Man Savage. We have all of these guys you loved in the 80s, but now they're over the hill, essentially. And so the WWE at the time, WWF, I just, you know, they had the name change. <laughs> yeah, F at the time, yeah. They were floundering as well before this Attitude Era. They kept on having gimmicks. These wrestlers had these gimmicks where they just had jobs. They had a guy who was local trash worker, municipality worker, who was like a dumpster diving guy who was just trying to clean up the streets every every week. There was the big boss man who was a cop. He was just a cop who was moonlighting as a wrestler. <laughs> the Undertaker came out of this period, a gimmick that should have failed, and he was just an Undertaker. He was a guy who worked at a funeral parlor. Like, the WWF was bad. It was bad. Undertaker just retired, too. Yeah. <laughs> he has had a 30-year career. <laughs> I mean, absolutely insane. And he was one of my absolute favorites growing up. The part that always bothered me was that he came out of a coffin and I felt like you're the undertaker. This is the opposite of your job. Exactly. This is very unprofessional. I was not a fun person to watch wrestling with, I think is the, is the point I mean, of this. I mean, you were also like, the ref should see that there's a distraction. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can't use a ring bell to hit someone in the head. That's not what it's used for. I would ruin this so quickly. Yeah. But the undertaker, as a weird defense of him... His gimmick was that he was undead. He was a zombie. So he was coming out of the grave to put people in the grave. So that was like his vibe. Right. He wasn't just like actually an undertaker. He was undead. That makes more sense. I keep saying the worst things during this call, by the way. <laughs> just defended the idea of the undertaker. <laughs> no, he had a 30 year career. Obviously, he's much beloved. Yeah. yeah. Everyone, everyone likes the guy respected in, you know, wrestling and beyond. Like he would not break kayfabe he would only live his character which is incredible but yeah wwe was floundering as well and so they ended up getting new stars like stone cold steve austin rocky maivia became the rock they had all of you know mankind you know his many personalities mick foley uh, dude love cactus jack they tried to infuse the hardcore energy of ecw which i grew up with in the philadelphia area into it and wcw was like what do we do we have their aging stars and they have all these new badass characters what are we gonna do so they went back to the well they hired two major wwf stars who were big at that time and they plucked them over paired them with hogan and they changed what hulk hogan did they were the badasses in the nwo they formed the new world order which is like Degeneration x in the wwf was the badass cool group answer to what nwo was and i think a lot of what went wrong with the nwo is that it was too popular and the popularity of the nwo ended up sinking wcw Whereas the WWF at the time was leaning into a bunch of different characters from The Undertaker. He had a stable, The Ministry of Darkness. They had Vince McMahon, who became an on-screen character as Mr. McMahon. He's the owner of the WWE, WWF at the time. And there were many different feuds, whereas WCW was like, we landed on gold. We landed on gold here. They had one or two wrestlers that were against the NWO, 
who you alluded to earlier, Bill Goldberg, who is now a WWE Hall of Famer. And he, in the wrestling world, you know, it's a great story. It's incredible to have his streak of 160 plus wins in a row before losing like that captivated people that was a big reason why there were 84 straight weeks of we're kicking the wwf's ass and they had sting who was similar to hulk hogan in the sense that he was you know a guy who came from the nwa which you know is an even older alliance of different organizations back in the territory days when there wasn't a wwf there wasn't a wcw there were what jerry lawler had in memphis they had these little territories that popped up and sting was one of the big guys in those territories but he was like a hogan who was straight laced you know i'm a good guy i wear bright colored face paint bright colored tights and he became an anti-hero he wasn't the heel he wasn't the face. He was somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I had a Sting action figure when I was a kid. Like, I was a big Sting fan. Was it a real deal action figure? Or was it like the 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 stuffed animal kind of plushy? It was a plushy, like, yeah, a plushy, like, big, bulky kind of thing. They, they had the plushy one of him. They had the plushy of Hulk Hogan. I believe they had Macho Man Randy Savage. But, like, Sting became the NWO killer. He was the guy in the rafters who was trying to, you know stalk the bad guys he became a vigilante and there were like these really interesting storylines there were these stories of you know could this one group seize the entire power could this one guy take down this entire group and then there were you know the whole entire eric bischoffness of it all and eric bischoff was this figurehead behind the scenes who was actually a producer and at one point head booker of WCW and he did what Mr. McMahon was doing in the WWF and he became an on-screen talent but he aligned himself with the bad guys NWO and at a certain point there was this moment where the NWO was going to overthrow WCW like it was going to be over for WCW it was going to end up being the WWF WWE versus NWO and at a certain point there actually were pay-per-views near the end of that 84-week stretch where WCW was number one in the ratings during the Monday Night Raw Wars, the Monday Night Wars. And it was very strange because you would tune in and there would be like a couple announcers and one of them would be a WCW announcer and two of them would be pro-NWO. So like this organization went from three people, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, and Hogan to the majority of the roster it ended up being so big that at one point not only were they hosting their own nwo specific pay-per-views but there was a second spin-off nwo there was the nwo Wolfpack, and they all wore red instead of black and white so it almost became this situation where okay, there is no one on WCW's roster anymore. There's an NWO black and white. There's an NWO red and black. And it was NWO Hollywood with Hulk Hogan and the original group. And then there was the Wolfpack, which Sting ended up joining. He ended up being in the other NWO. So they lost the essence of the storyline of good guys versus bad guys because you can tell a very good small story of a heel faction, a bad group of people who are trying to overtake 
the good guys and be like, you know what, we're anarchists, we're taking down the government, the rulers, whatever it is. And there's something in that that's kind of appealing and you want to root for the bad guys. It becomes cool, right? Absolutely. You don't care about Bill Goldberg's streak when you're like, nah, Scott Hall just tased a guy <laughs> <laughs> who's in charge. Like, this guy is the champion. He sh We should be rooting for this guy. And he just took out a taser to win this match? This is insane. Like, the antics started getting to the point where they were trying to just outdo the wwf they were trying to essentially get to a point where they were like hey we're more edgy we're crazier we're the show you need to watch and they did what happy days did they jumped the shark i like how they just took an oops all crunch berries approach like they're like oh, they're all bad guys now. <laughs> yes that's exactly what happened we we're talking about how comic books and wrestling are the same and i love how it's like they did the same thing where marvel was only making x-men comics for a while and then they're like and now we also have x-force we have x-men and x-force and we have the avengers and we have the avengers west coast like, it's just like weird spin-off teams. We have the Avengers, we have the Revengers, we have Guardians of the Galaxy, <laughs> but they're all pretty much the same thing. Oh, actually, they're all together now, and that's what's going on. They're all friends, they hang out. Yeah, and so, like, we ended up, as viewers, watching a product that was so, so watered down that it got to a point where we were like, do I really want to watch this? It's the same thing every Monday night. It's the NWO getting bigger. They had spinoff groups beyond spinoff groups. At one point, I believe the WWF started having NWO spinoff groups. They had the LWO at one point, I believe, the Latino World Order, which was a handful of like luchadors that banded together, which are Mexican wrestlers. They had in ECW, the like smaller promotion that was, I thought as a child, like the real deal, they're actually fighting each other type of stuff. They had the BWO, the Blue World Order. Like, it was just like parody upon parody. And it got to a point where people were like, you know what? I don't want this anymore. And WCW started losing viewers. It got to a point where it was supposed to be, was it Hulk Hogan versus Sting at Starcade? And the match ended up being less than 30 seconds. Like this was the big WrestleMania type show. This was it. And it was 1997, I believe. That was when like the moment happened. And I think people refer to it as the finger poke of doom. Yes, he wasn't going against Sting. I believe he was going against... Was it Kevin Nash? Yeah, I believe it was Nash. It was Nash. Okay, I know the Starcade match because also not an expert, but I was like eight years old watching this stuff. I know there was a huge Starcade match between Sting and Hogan and everyone was disappointed in it. Like it didn't go long. People hated it. And it was just rudderless. When told me about this beforehand and had me look it up because it was just a poke and this really huge oversell of Nash hitting the mat. And it was like, all right, so what are what exactly is, is the play here? But when you were telling me about what happened after that and their attempt to spoil the WWF. I mean, at a certain point, they were weren't they like releasing what was going to happen on Monday Night Raw, like in the dirt sheets and just like that was it. Well, here's here's what happened. So the finger poke of doom happened. So Raw taped would preemptively tape. They would tape a few days before they found out what would happen for their who was going to win the world championship of WWF. So the same night of this finger poke of doom where H Hogan pokes Nash in the chest like, hey, buddy. And Nash just throws himself 
to the fucking ground to kind of like in the match kind of there was infighting right there was infighting in the nwo yeah they're trying to keep viewers from switching over to to the championship by just saying hey foley's going to win you know don't touch that dial we already know that like they're trying to spoil it for everyone and what happened was six hundred thousand people <laughs> heard oh foley's about to win the world championship like he's about to become the champion of wwf they all changed the fucking channel like they were just like <laughs> okay i'm sick of this bullshit we know how this is going to end they told us how this is going to end but i want to see something different so they all changed the channel and the wcw never recovered from that yeah it's a dumb move to say hey something more exciting is happening on the other channel Go see history. <laughs> Go watch this underdog finally achieve his dream of winning the world title. And like, you know, it's mismanagement from top to bottom, bottom to top. And what, what are you going to do? And such a desperation play, too, because at this point, despite uh, all of the, the competition, stuff had mostly been above board. You know, they respected what the game was, that, that you, you're two, you know, competing companies here. And at this point, it's almost like, you know, re releasing trade secrets. Once you're doing that, you've changed the rules of competition. And the fact that it so massively backfired, I think, really was just, okay, well, there's there's no recovering here. There's no rules anymore, and our play to set no rules blew us up. I mean, at that point, like, I think that was around where I stopped watching wrestling. I legitimately had this, like, stretch, what was that, 98, maybe? That happened in 98, yeah. 98. Yeah, maybe, maybe I stopped around there and I got back into it around 2007, I would say, 2008, when I was in college. Like, there was a good gap of like, I'm kind of done with this. It's played out. Everyone in my middle school was like, this is stupid. It's almost embarrassing to watch. I mean, for the WCW, I mean, after they were just like, oh, NWO was no longer working. So they went back and they just tried to just really pump up these aging stars. So like you'd be watching a Randy Savage fight in 1999. Like you would have Sting, you know, Roddy Piper, uh, Ric Flair, Sid Vicious. And then they would also bring in celebrities. They'd be like, Megadeth is here. Dennis Rodman's going to jump in here, which, you know, sometimes is fun. Jay Leno, I believe at one point wrestled there. And then the real death of it. I, I had the moment right now. You know the one that I'm going to say? Yeah, it was it was all for Ready to Rumble, right? It was all marketing promotion for that movie with David Arquette. David Arquette was given the WCW most coveted prize, the heavyweight championship, in just this weird promotional match for a movie. Like, right? Is that the moment you were going to say? I did have that on my list, but the one that I thought was the dumbest was when they committed to the gimmick of getting the band Kiss. In 1999, <laughs> this is not 1970s, 1980s. In 1999, they made a deal with Kiss where Kiss had a wrestler based on Gene Simmons go in there. He was known as the Kiss Demon. And like wrestlers were embarrassed to be the Kiss Demon. So I think he was like, two to three guys throughout this <laughs> very short like a two-year tenure he was like two different guys that went on for two years <laughs> yes like uh, like eventually the wcw was bleeding like five million dollars a month and they had to sell to mcmahon because like 
people abandoned it. It was done. Like, and McMahon started cutting promos where he was just like, in that McMahon way where he's like, yeah, I own the WCW. Like, he was a dick about it, which, you know, that's what you watch Vince McMahon for, for him to be a huge fucking asshole. There was a moment where I tuned back in at that point and I was like, oh, maybe they'll do something interesting. And then they didn't do anything interesting. They didn't sign <laughs> any of the big WCW stars at the time. Like, they didn't get Sting. I don't believe that they got Ric Flair at that point. He came on a bit later, but they got like their B or C level talent. Vince McMahon was very dedicated now to the to the XFL, something we're definitely going to do an episode on later. But he was he was focusing on XFL endeavor right here. I mean, where did XFL go wrong? Like, I don't know where it went right. Like, I don't yeah. know if you can do a proper yeah, show. On we'll that. do a whole episode on that. I, I, I'm actually very excited about the prospect of that because the XFL had a team in Memphis and I had Memphis Maniac gear everywhere. And now I wish I still had it because it's worth a fortune. That is in my notes from when, when you and I started conceptualizing this show, you said before we even had the, the name, you said, okay, but we got to do an XFL episode. <laughs> we should have done this as the XFL episode. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Did you know The Rock owns it now? I'm loving the wrestling stuff. I forgot how deep my wrestling love was when I was a kid. You're from Memphis. It's in your blood. But so, so this is good. I mean, this is, you're right, essentially where, where it enters the new era of Vince McMahon has now bought it it eventually seems to find its steam again but it was there was a rough transition there too but if that's where it went wrong that does bring us to our final segment of in their defense where we have to defend the horrible strategy here of bringing in a aging superstars messing up a, a system that works perfectly making everyone the villain how do you defend this i would say that bringing in aging superstars is a mistake and it's something smart to do because you're betting on a commodity that is proven to be successful even if the stock is dropping people still know the name bill goldberg bill goldberg i watched him wrestle a match last week on <laughs> the wwe's royal rumble pay-per-view he wrestled against the biggest rising star and current wwe champion and he shows up now for the last couple years like once a year to wrestle a match and the match is not anything longer than three to five minutes he hits his signature moves his spear his jackhammer and then he either wins the world championship or he loses and it's just a little ratings blip he comes on smackdown he comes on raw whatever show they need him on and you know he shows up he does his one or two lines he says you're next and then you get a couple posters of him and the rising star and the rising star gets a rub like you know a wrestling term of a push or a little bit of traction there of oh this guy we should pay attention to him he might be new but he is wrestling goldberg who has all of this history if you go back 20 years Goldberg had this streak. Goldberg was going to take down the NWO. Remember how cool the NWO was? There's nostalgia there. There's there's a lot to love. There's a lot to hold on to. And like my memory was foggy at the end, but I was passionate when I started talking about how the NWO came to be, where where they all started, why they started, what was the reason behind it. It got to a point where there was a finger poke of doom. I was tuning out. I was like, I know Sting and Hogan had a bad pay-per-view match at a huge important event. All of that doesn't really matter today because no one at the WWE who owns the WWE 
They own the WCW. They own ECW. They own all of the archive. They can point at all of the great memories that we all had. They can point at this person from 25 years ago, bring them back if they are still in somewhat good ring shape to cut a promo. You can hear from all of the legends like Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Undertaker. These are still your childhood memories. These are people that you can't go wrong bringing them back. People do say it does hurt some of the talent because they are taking spots and television time and opportunity away from up and comers. But if you put them in a situation where they are giving a platform or sharing a platform with someone who's young, there's nothing wrong with that if the young person continues to grow and build their brand. Because Drew McIntyre, who's the current WWE champion, you probably have never heard his name. But in five or ten years, if WWE keeps on letting him have one-on-ones with Stone Cold Steve Austin, have one-on-ones with The Rock, have a match with Bill Goldberg at a major pay-per-view, you'll know his name because he'll be in movies in 10 years. That's just how the system works. I think that's a really good point. Is that, In fact, they didn't necessarily have a bad plan. It's a plan that's continuing today and working well. The problem was really just that they overplayed their hand, was that they strategized it in a way where everything was too big and kind of too burnt out where it was, oh, you like villains? Let's have everyone be a villain. You like stars? Let's have everyone be a star. And that was really the issue. So the issue wasn't the strategy or the technique. It was just going all in <laughs> instead of leaning back and seeing you. we can make this last if we understand the depth of the characters. It's like a diet. You have to eat right. And when you want your chocolate or your ice cream or whatever it is, moderation. Yeah. <laughs> Give us the attraction. Make it an attraction. Don't make it the whole show. Yeah, it's like when you see a band is on like their 19th farewell tour. Like a farewell <laughs> tour is a great idea, but when you do a lot of them, it, you, you stop buying the tickets. You also want to have things spaced out as well. If you're doing a farewell tour, wait 10 years before you have your comeback tour. Don't do it in two years. Well, I, I think that is a fantastic point, and I think that covers just about everything. We've got the history of, of wrestling. We've talked it into modern wrestling and the fantastic world that was really built around that. And where it went wrong, which was just the WCW trying to compete with the WWF in completely a backwards way. Brandon Scott Wolf, thank you so much for coming on. It was an absolute pleasure to talk with you about this. Thank you guys for having me. It was really great to, you know, unpack all of these memories and thoughts about wrestling that I otherwise wouldn't really have a place to share them with. And I will say the thing I said about David Arquette, I have to say this at the end, I saw him wrestle right before the pandemic started at a local Los Angeles wrestling show. And he is someone who has learned from being a part of that WCW collapse. He loves wrestling. He put in the work and he is now a bona fide wrestler and I think that's an incredible story as well that should be celebrated. And if it isn't already a documentary or a TV series, he needs to put a team together to write it because that like from the ashes, there are positive stories. There are always positive stories. That's a fantastic point. And David Arquette, all three of us are writers. If you're looking to make this happen, we are ready to go tomorrow. Uh <laughs> I'm, ready to, I'm ready to go today. Not to cut you off. I'm get out of here. <laughs> I got to write this show. Brandon, thank you again. We really enjoyed talking to you. Guys, if, if you enjoyed listening, please give us five stars. Subscribe. It helps us out so much. We're also going to have our link to a Patreon down in the show notes. If you're able to subscribe to that as well, that uh, would really help us keep this show going. So thank you very much for listening. And we'll be back next week. I'll see you next week, Gwen. Bye. Bye. Bye.